there was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee it is to get us back to that point. All right. You can do it. Bring, bring your green hat. Let's go. Loud noises. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Still really too cold in East Tennessee time. Jeremy Pruitt still coaching Alabama time. Everybody else is still here and having a good time time. Whatever time of day it is, and we're recording this on a Friday afternoon time, it's the right time for the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker alongside Danny Parker and Patrick Brown coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. First thing we should do, guys, is probably offer a small apology. Normally, this comes out on Friday morning, the Friday podcast, but... Actually, the first thing we should say is Happy New Year. Well, that was going to be the second thing, because I wanted to apologize for our lack of timeliness, and then I was going to say Happy New Year. We can do that first. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Feliz Año Nuevo. Perfect. And the reason, we had some scheduling conflicts, so we were able to finally all get here. Get It's really all Ryan Callahan's fault. Let's just be honest and open and out in the clear with everyone. It's yeah. all. It's Ryan's fault. It always is Ryan's fault. The, the, number one, it's Ryan's fault. Number two, it would be Rick Barnes' fault for having basketball practice this morning. Mm, that's Ryan's fault. Which is probably also Ryan's fault somehow. Or which we should have had Ryan call Rick Barnes and be like, you know, you don't usually practice in the morning, and uh, I don't know why you're doing this. He would do it. I bet we could get him to. As long as he's not here, I don't care where he goes. Guys... It's been another week for Tennessee football, and I know Tennessee's not playing in a bowl game, but Tennessee has coaches who are coaching in bowl games. And and I got to tell you, as far as, uh, I don't want to say audition because he's already got the job, but as far as kind of first impressions as uh, Tennessee's next head football coach go, got to give some credit to Jeremy Pruitt and that Alabama Crimson Tide defense for just really kind of shutting down Clemson, a really high-powered Clemson offense in, in that in that college football semifinal game. And I, I got to tell you guys, th- that looked good. To hold a team like Clemson t- to that kind of performance on offense, that's – I mean, I know he's got the players around him and Saban's the head coach, but that's a good look for Jeremy Pruitt, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's certainly good for him because if you're just watching that game, you're going, this Alabama defense is really good. Whoever that defensive coordinator is, they should just hire him. Yeah. In, that, in that search right quick uh and so you know someone should hire that guy uh now again the constant in alabama with its defense is that it's nick saban's defense and um but clearly the last guy that was running has done pretty good for himself too as a head coach so if you're tennessee that's what you're hoping you're hoping that that jeremy prude is the next kirby smart and not the next however many other saban assistants that have gone on to fail yeah there have been South some, some there have been some wins and some losses there but, I mean, you know, Danny, you're a guy who, you know, you obviously know the game of football just as well as we do. I know you're a quiet guy over there sitting like a, like a snake in the weeds over there in the corner of the studio. But what, what, what did you think watching that game? They, they did, uh, to me, that Clemson offense, you know, it had a couple games this season where it wasn't quite what it normally is. But, you know, there's still a lot of good weapons on that offense, and there's a lot of talent there. And when you look at how many guys Alabama's lost, especially a linebacker, 
and some guys banged up in the secondary too. I know no one's going to cry for him because it's just rolling in the next five-star or high four-star prospect. But still, I, I, I think when you look, it, it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, that, that's probably the thing that, that sticks out is that, you know, yes, Deshaun Watson was gone. That, that's a major factor missing from, from Clemson's offense. But you still have – Kelly Bryant's had a very fantastic year. Tavion Feaster, Travis Achian, Amari Rogers, T. Higgins, Deion Kane, Hunter Renfro, all these guys are, you know, first, second team caliber, all-conference type guys. Um, and they got shut down. It's, uh, you know, you got to tip your hat to some of these players and some of these one-on-one matchups uh, that went out and won them. And Clemson has a, a pretty star-studded offensive front as well. Alabama got, got into the backfield, penetrated quite a bit from the very beginning of the game. I think they had, just off the top of my head from watching, I don't say three tackles for loss in the first series and a half or so. Uh, got off on a great, great start, uh, I think, put – Clemson on their heels and, and kept them out of the end zone for four quarters. A very impressive effort uh, for Alabama and Coach Pruitt and Coach Saban's defense. Yeah, some, something I noticed watching the game and, and sort of bits and pieces is that uh, just I, I try to pay attention a little bit to the way that, that Alabama's defense was lining up because that's what you know that's what Tennessee's going to do. Uh, and there were a lot of times where it wasn't you know it wasn't a three four look. I mean, they, there were times where it was four down. There were times where they had two guys down and then the two ends were standing up. Uh, they were obviously in nickel a lot, so that's something that you know Tennessee's obviously been very familiar with from the lap, uh, past couple seasons under Bob Shoup. So, um, but again, can Jeremy Pruitt get the kind of athletes to play that system, especially on the perimeter, because you, you've got to have corners that you can trust to sort of lock down the side of the field, so you can let the other guys roam. And then you got to obviously have <laughs> hosses like Deron Payne, uh, who can just just mess stuff up. And wide receiver, it, all SEC wide receiver. Durant and, and Anthony Jennings. Now, that play was offensive pass interference, first of all, but uh, his, his touchdown catch, but that's beside the point. Um, Jeremy Pruitt probably doesn't think so. <laughs> there are a lot of probably people in Alabama that don't think that was offensive pass interference, but it very blatantly was. Um, but, you know, it, you, they threw a touchdown to a defensive lineman. Give him a little, give him a little leeway. I'm cool with that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, can, can Pruitt get the kind of – beast studs that he's had at Alabama and then he's had at Florida State and then he's had at Georgia as well and that's that's obviously uh, the big question and certainly we'll see if they're what they're able to do uh, in January on the recruiting show when he gets back particularly at, at, at defensive back because I'm sure as we'll get to with uh, some of the NFL or the second NFL decision that they need to get some guys on the on the corner or at, at, at on the perimeter at cornerback who can who can play the way that they want to play yeah Vol- Vols fans that want to have an idea of what they're going to be getting in the years to come Watch the game Monday night, you know, because not only will you see Jeremy Pruitt's defense on display again, you'll see what Kirby Smart does, and a lot of his foundation comes from Nick Saban's tree, you know, running that 3-4. And like Patrick said, you may see two guys with their hands down. The very next snap you can see four guys with their hands down. Sometimes there will be five guys at the line of scrimmage, some some up, some down. It's, it's really a, a multiple look. You don't really know where the pass rush is coming from. That's the advantage of having – kind of a base 3-4. You have guys to back off in coverage and whatnot. You always have to have a Deron Payne or Raquan Davis, uh, those large bodies up front to really occupy and manhandle offensive linemen at the same time. Just just from a basic schematic standpoint, that's what Tennessee fans should probably expect. Now, you do have a long way to go to get to that talent level. Uh, you got to go out and get you some Roquan Smiths yeah, and some and some yeah. Deron Paynes and Anthony Jennings and and those cats don't grow on trees. Nope. And it's going to take multiple cycles to have that type deep th- defense, that type depth to have that in, in Knoxville. But 
But just like I said, for a basic characteristic standpoint of what you're going to see maybe in the orange and white game, then going forward into Charlotte against West Virginia, that's probably what you're going to see. And, and one other thing, too, and, and uh, I think Mac Wilson put this on his Twitter the next day, is that uh, a couple a couple of Alabama's defensive players, I think uh, Wilson was one of them, there, Sean Evans, who's another man-child that, that, that Pruitt's going to need to find when he gets to Tennessee, is – uh, they, they dumped him with some Gatorade afterwards, which that that kind of shows a sign of respect from those players that they appreciate him coming back to to finish the season with them and, and how much they like him. Which I think you know we, we've heard that that Pruitt's sort of got a reputation as a players' coach. A lot of players like him. A lot of players respect him, and uh, I guess that's another example of that right there. Yeah, he's always seemed to be a guy who's who's hard but fair, and he'll get the guys fired up and ready to go play football, and, and he gets to know them and their families really well during recruiting. And we're not just telling you this just because he's Tennessee's new coach and we're trying to build relationships and stuff. It, it happens to be the truth. This is a guy who uh, has got a really good reputation on the trail, and this is a guy who has a good reputation as a coach. So I think things are looking good for Tennessee on that front, and we'll see how he does against – uh, his future defensive coordinator, Kevin Shearer, who is still in the college football playoff as well as the uh, linebackers coach, or I guess inside linebackers coach. No, he's outside linebackers coach, right, at Georgia. Yes. And outside linebackers coach. Correction, correction. He's going to coach inside linebackers Correction, Tennessee. outside backers coming to inside backers. But uh, you're going to look at that score from that Oklahoma-Georgia game, and you're going to say, wow, there wasn't a lot of defense played in that game. And, you, you know – I'm not going to say it was 85 Bears good quality on defense, but I think you have to consider the opponent and you have to consider how good that Oklahoma offense is with, in my opinion, the best player in college football at quarterback uh, in Baker Mayfield and uh, some good receivers, uh, a really good, really underrated running back, uh, an All-America uh, guy up front in Brown. Just just a lot of weapons in, on that offense. You know, one of the scariest offenses in college football and when you look at the way Georgia made those adjustments in the second half and the way that it really contained that Oklahoma offense, and then in overtime to not allow Oklahoma to get a, a touchdown and, and then going, uh, having them kick a field goal in the first overtime, the second overtime, uh, one of Shearer's guys, uh, Lorenzo Carter, comes off the edge, blocks the field goal, and the dogs are going to hunker down against Bama in the title game. So, again, I, I think that you have to consider everything relative to your competition and the way college football is played these days with the amount of points and yards you see, I don't think that was a poor defensive performance uh, by Kirby Smart's group over there with, you know, Mel Tucker and Kevin Shearer and all those guys. I, I think Kirby was, was a little bit, you know, he, he was critical of that defensive performance. But honestly, I think when you look at the level of competition, I think it was pretty good. Well, they gave up 31 points in the first half, so let's not – Let's not trumpet it up too much. No, but after that point in the second <laughs> I mean, half. let's be and, honest. Let's but then you go a second half and two overtimes after sure, that. Sure, sure. That's pretty good. You're sure. suggesting second half adjustments are not overrated? I do think they're some, – some, Sometimes I think they are overrated. I, I do think they're overrated sometimes too because sometimes it's conditioning and other things. And sometimes people just play better. Sometimes you have a good plan and you just don't execute it. And other times you just you stick to the, to the plan. And, and other times, like in, in late in the game after your team takes over, you get – conservative and don't let your Heisman Trophy winning quarterback go in the game. That's a, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. My thing with Shear is that, first of all, he's like Pruitt light because he and Pruitt have sort of like followed the same trajectory. They're both defensive coordinators at Hoover High School with Rush Probes. They were both uh, director of player personnel, the director of player development, whatever you want to call it, at Alabama. Um, and, you know, Shear had a pretty good year at South Alabama. And we're really uh, – two things that, that stuck out, that stand out to me about Shear is that, number one, Kirby Smart retained him 
when he got to Georgia. Yep. Uh, obviously, they knew each other from Alabama. So, but uh, it, you know, Kirby's put himself put together a, a pretty good staff down there. I think you have to say at this point, uh, with Mel Tucker, Jim Chaney, Sam Pittman, so on and so forth. Uh, I think Shane Beamer's on that staff. I wonder how Tennessee fans feel about all that love Jim Chaney gets during every <laughs> broadcast. Uh, because I happen to agree with the fact that he's a really, really good offensive coordinator yeah, who he's always puts up a ton of points. He but a great offensive the Tennessee fans didn't always love him when he was here. But <clears> I'm just saying. But and, and you know and so smart retained him at Georgia after Pruitt brought him to Georgia and then uh, there was some scuttle back when Pruitt was hired that that Shear might be in play to replace Pruitt again uh, at Alabama. So if Nick Saban is considering you to be your de- to be his defensive coordinator, I think that means you're a pretty good defensive coach. Um, so that 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 beyond any you know breaking down how many points Georgia's defense gave up in the Rose Bowl, or how many they gave up on Monday night, I don't I don't think that's going to change. Uh, I think the reputation that Shear has, at well, least from at least from this perspective. Yeah, I, I think that the second half adjustments can be a bit overrated because because there have been times where I've talked to coaches who have gone into a locker room at halftime and said, "Guys, I still think we have a pretty good plan. Uh, we just haven't done anything in that plan to this point. So let's go out there in the second half and try to do what we should have done in the first half. And then sometimes that works. Now sometimes you go out there. And your plan just obviously didn't work. Uh, the opponent throws something at you you didn't expect, and you need to have a few minutes on the whiteboard to get you know get get met with the guys and and get back on the same page. But uh, I think the bottom line is that's a really good offense. And I think uh, when you look at the performance, I mean, you look at the way those Georgia linebackers were swarming all over the place in the second half. Uh, you know, Roquan Smith's just a he's a dude. That guy's a dude. He is unbelievable. A very deserving. Buckus Award winner, just a really, really good linebacker. And, and I think that that when Tennessee announced that you were going to have guys like Pruitt was going to stay and coach Alabama through the season, and then uh, you heard that Shearer was going to be a, a, at least a co-defensive coordinator, now we know the, the full-time defensive coordinator, that he was going to finish the season with Georgia. There were people who saying, you know, they need to be out there recruiting for Tennessee and not doing anything else, and they don't need to be finishing with these other teams because it's kind of a conflict and it's going to take away their time. I think when you look at the way that they've been recruiting uh, and then you add on top of that the fact that uh, they're getting lots of good face time on television being good defensive coordinators and defensive coaches for teams that are playing for a national championship – I think it's a good thing for Tennessee that, that these guys kind of stayed true to their word and finished the drill where they were. And only about 35% of the 2018 class is still available right now, and there's still multiple weeks. I believe it's four official visit weekends available now since the, the National Signing Day is not till February 7th this year. I think last year was on the 1st or something like that. But uh, another point to keep in mind, and people forget this one sometime, and Derek Dooley brought this up to me one time in a, a conversation, is that, Coaches are human, too. You know, the day they show up to, to the day they leave, they're going to learn more about the profession. For Jeremy, Jeremy Pruitt, Kevin Cheer, these guys that are coaching in these type environments, a college football playoff uh, for Coach Cheer, another SEC championship game to participate in, these are learning experiences. And you're, I'm sure Jeremy's sucking up kind of a logistics standpoint, uh, you know, working with the schedule. How, how do you handle the – the media sessions, how do you handle the the practice situation, uh, you know, leading up to an event at a neutral site and all that sort of thing, and the, the lengthy timeouts, the length, lengthy halftime, all these things that go into being a first-time head coach, Jeremy soaking all that up. So th- it's it's a valuable experience. for Not that he's not been there before, but another time doing it knowing you're going to be a head coach and 
the next, the basically Tuesday, you know, and all this is going to be behind you. He can take notes. He can bring that in. It's going to help him a little bit going forward as Tennessee's head football coach. And, and a couple of things. First of all, it is it is the dead period. So it's pretty much – that doesn't mean nobody can recruit anybody. It just means that coaches can't be on the road, right, and, yeah, they, and, and it, prospects can't be on campus. You so. can DM from the field in Atlanta or whatever and go, <laughs> hey, you know, was thinking about you. Can't wait to get back here next December. Would love to have you on board. Here's me at the 50-yard line about to <laughs> yeah. coach for a national championship. So it's not it's not a no-contact period. It's just a dead period. So, right. And as you mentioned – a lot of the classes, a lot of these classes are, are signed. That's what's changed. Tennessee still got some big ones on the board, though. That's true, and and there's still some big guys out there for everybody. But um, you, you're not recruiting. You're not having to recruit 25 guys. You're having to recruit 10, 10 to 15, because a lot of your guys have signed already. And so, ten, you know, Tennessee signed 14. Uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of them are new, have been additions to the class that weren't previously going to be part of the class, whatever. The other thing is that both Shear and Pruitt are working for guys that are familiar with this situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Shear, I mean, Kirby Smart did this two years ago, the same thing that Pruitt's doing. So Kirby knows that, you know, when you're focusing on the game, when there's staff meetings, you're trying to prep for Alabama, or you're trying to prep for Oklahoma, your focus is there. But then uh, when when the focus isn't there and you can handle, you know, these staffs normally have time set aside for recruiting anyway, that's when these guys are recruiting for Tennessee. And it was funny. It it was funny to hear Jeremy Pruitt tell a story last week about how he was sitting in on a meeting and uh, at Alabama, and they were like, "We need to call this guy, this guy, this guy." And then Tosh Lupoy, one of the other assistants, was like, and then he kind of paused yeah. and said, "Was like, who do we need to call?" And Pruitt was like, "Do I need to leave?" Yeah. Tosh, so, do I need to leave the room, guys? Do I need to leave the room? Uh, you know. So that's you know. Th- again, these guys are all professionals. They all you know. There's all a level of professionalism and respect decorum respect yes and so um you know if you're jeremy pruitt nick saban has been instrumental to you getting this opportunity at tennessee you're not gonna act a fool uh you know and, and it was funny uh, not funny but uh, i think it was peter burns uh, of, of the sec network a few weeks ago or it may have been last week just kind of pointing out the differences in how pruitt has handled this situation compared to how lane kiffin handled it last year and i know that lane's not the guy you want to be aiming for but um yeah, little things like Pruitt showing up to his media day last week in neutral colors. He's not wearing Alabama colors. He's not wearing tennis. He's not wearing orange. That's a smart decision. And, and yeah. trying to keep the focus on the game, that's you know that's that shows some understanding of trying to keep the situation is what it is. And I think most Tennessee fans are, I think they understand the situation, but they are probably ready to get their coach on campus and and, and to get going. Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna play one more scenario for you here. Imagine if you are you're a recruit or you're the parent of a recruit and Jeremy Pruitt's in there talking about how he's going to love your guys and take care of your guys. And, and and then you sit there and say, okay, well you say that coach Pruitt and that sounds great, but uh, you were with Alabama and those guys had a chance to win a national championship and you left them before the season was even over. How, how is that? How are you going to, are you going to treat my boy that way? And I think people need to think about it from that perspective too, because that is important because if I'm, if I'm the parent, uh, of a kid who's being recruited by this staff, I'm going to want to know, or are you, are you at least going to finish the season with your guys? You know, are you at least going to be that loyal to them? I, I think that matters. I, I think that people need to look at this from all sides. And, and I think th- the benefits of these guys staying where they are and finishing the season outweighs everything that, that that's negative. I think it's just, I think it's not a hundred percent, 
but like 90 plus percent a good thing for Tennessee. Yeah, that that loyalty factor is the exact same point I was about to bring up with. So great point. What what uh, what I do have yeah. a question. What I what question I do have though is is I mean Tennessee's team is getting back to campus this weekend. They start classes next week. And mm-hmm. so it is going to be a little bit weird to me at least that they're going to show up to campus and their head coach is not here. Now obviously the rest of the staff is here, at least the staff that's been hired. Um and and, and certainly Philip Palmer has been involving himself in sort of the day-to-day operations as well. And Probably not bothering Philip to do that, just guessing. And, and when you think about it, I mean, it's like, what, 48 hours? Many of them get here on Sunday probably. they Usually they've had a, what, a Sunday night team meeting and then start workouts on Monday. Of course, they need to hire a strength coach. They don't have that in place, but I would expect that to happen pretty soon. And Needs to happen pretty soon. Needs to happen pretty soon. Um, and so, you know, that, those are situations where it, that's a situation where it's a little weird that if I was, if I was a Tennessee player and I show up, and I've not seen my coach very much at all because he's been busy. Because I mean, as soon as I got here, they went and hit the red recruiting, and then exams wrapped up. I went home, all that, all that stuff. It'd be a little bit odd that you show up and your head coach is not there. Yeah, I remember though when 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 Dooley took the job at Tennessee and he had his first meeting with the players. I'm not sure again that Dooley's the bar that you want to be setting, but I think and that was this, also later in January. But, but when when Dooley got hired, he basically had a team meeting and said, "Guys, listen, I'm your new coach. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get to know all of you and your families. I love all y'all. We're going to get together and we're going to do this thing." But uh, I got to go recruit for a few weeks because we need more players. So uh, this is good. Let's let's shake each other's hand. Let's get to know each other a little bit. And then I'm going to fly out of town, and y'all see me in a few weeks, and I'll have some some more time for you. So that that that's that's part of it. But yeah, I mean, I think that the, when the team gets back together, uh, there's going to be one notable face not there. We'll mention that here in a minute before Two. we get out of here. A couple, well, one that we knew. And a new one from this past week. Uh, so now there are two, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But we will discuss quickly the the vacancies left on the staff. Uh, there are a couple. Obviously, the strength coach needs to happen. And now that Brian McClendon is going to stay at South Carolina with the promotion to offensive coordinator, that means that Tennessee's having to look in a different direction for the wide receivers coach spot. There, there have been talks with several guys. I think we've nailed down at least three guys uh, that, are, that have been in competition. There's Lawrence uh, Dossie. At Florida State, who, who's a, a guy who had been the offensive coordinator there, been there for 11 years, was a, an NFL receiver, played for Florida State, uh, was kind of a lifer with the Seminoles, uh, but he's now on the market and he's spoken with Tennessee. And then there's a guy named uh, Joe Osavet at the uh, at Asa College up there in Brooklyn, New York, uh, which has co- become a really kind of a, a JUCO uh, talent-rich haven for a lot of these guys. There have been a lot of big-time D1 prospects on that team, and he's been the head coach uh, and the offensive coordinator uh, at the same time, he has dual roles, and that team's been putting up silly numbers on offense since he's been there and has sent a lot of players to D1 schools, including a couple of players Tennessee's looking at right now. So uh, that's – and there's also been I – don't, I don't know that we've pinned down or have we pinned down exactly what the deal is with Rush, with Rush Probst. Tennessee's been talking to him or been in contact with him. We're still working on what exactly his role might be if he were added to the, to the group, but – there are some names at play for, for these last couple of vacancies in, in the program. Yeah, and it seems like uh, probably Dawsey and then Osavet. Is that how you say it? Am mm-hmm. I saying I, that right? I believe so. Uh, those, the, I feel like those two guys would probably be the next in line behind McClendon. And uh, now, that makes the most sense. If they had pulled off McClendon, it would have been a total coup. That guy is a boss yes. uh, of a recruiter. I mean, you look at what George has done, you look no further than Nick, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. He recruited both those guys. Yep. Uh, and in the same class, pulled Lorenzo Carter. But Tennessee couldn't <laughs> give him the OC job, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, and he was, you know, I, I think they made a, a pretty substantial financial commitment there. I mean, I think they yes. were going to pay him a lot of money. Yes. He's a top 30 recruiter right now, too, at South Carolina, too. So um, that was 
that was a uh, probably a smart move by South Carolina. We'll see if it pans out. Uh, and that was that was a different situation because he obviously had a chance to to be a play caller and sort of audition for the job, and, and it didn't go well for about a half and a little bit of a quarter. But then they they put up some points on Michigan, uh, much to my enjoyment, I have to add. Yeah, shout out to Jim Harbaugh. It's uh, <laughs> they're paying a lot of money per win right uh, there, right now so, in Ann Arbor. Uh, and so yeah, I mean you know Dossie's a guy that obviously Pruitt will have um, connections with because he's coached with him at Florida State and then Osvet I guess he's got a connection there too because they had about three or four guys from that from that from that school down for an official visit weekend last month. And, and there's one that uh, at least uh, John Carlo Valentine that that they might get uh, an offensive line prospect who has one of the best headshots uh, of anyone in the 24/7 network and and, and like his uh his tribal t-shirt he's got on it, it's I, I just I saw a pic there are some guys where you see a picture of him and you go I want to cover that guy. And in this class, I think he might be number one on my list of looking at the headshot and going, yep, I want to cover that guy. don't know anything else about him, but I know I want to cover that guy. And then, I mean, two of these guys that we've mentioned now, both are sort of tied to players that Tennessee is looking to to recruit. I mean, you look at with Probst, he's got J.J. Peterson down there at Colquitt County, who's supposed to announce Saturday. Uh, Tennessee looking pretty good there. Okay. I was just going to leave it up to the recruiting guy that we have here. Um, well, I think it's kind of, but those are both situations, and, and it, I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head what the rule is about. Can you hire a guy that is coaching the a recruit that you're getting? I, I don't know if that's going to be a factor in this situation at all. But uh, I guess that's another thing that's worth mentioning. Yeah, we're not compliance people, but we're going to look into all that. I'm sure that knowing what I know about Tennessee's compliance staff, everything done there is going to be done by the book. Because Tennessee's compliance staff does not mess around. Uh, those guys will tell you no, and they will put their foot down, and they will say that's not happening. So uh, those guys do a pretty good job. But but I, I think that McClendon would have been a great hire. Now, South Carolina obviously did take a risk to make him a full-time OC to keep him. Uh, but, you know, with the way that Will Muschamp teams can play defense a lot of times, maybe – uh, you can let McClendon learn on the job while still playing well enough defensively to keep yourself in games and until he finds his footing uh, in there. And, and they've got some some weapons to go make some plays. So uh, I, I think that made sense for South Carolina, certainly. And, and for Tennessee, uh, it would have been a great hire, but there are other guys on the board that look like pretty decent potential hires. And I think Tennessee goes from there. I don't think it takes too long. And then um – it, for for South Carolina's sake, it also lets you hire Dan Werner too. That's what that's yeah. what, that was the other sort of side of, of of that situation. It's sort of a Larry Scott Mike Canal situation, but you're getting much better coaches. Yeah, <laughs> from Tennessee last year. So yeah, well, I I think I go with a caveat here. Anyone who coaches offense for Butch, I think I, I'm willing to sit there and say, you know, maybe we'll see how they do. Uh, without him there, so I think that was the Butch Jones yeah. offense, and they were having to do what they were told to do. But your your point's we'll still well taken. We'll see what Larry Scott and Bob Shoup do without him. In terms of the Rush Probes, JJ Peterson, Colquitt County situation, possibly. Plus, they they have two Colquitt kind of guys on the roster right yeah, now. Yeah, Jay Blakely, uh, Sean Chamberger, and JJ Peterson's come out saying he's looking forward to playing with those guys. So he's kind of kind of giving away his commitment during the U.S. Army All American Bowl. Uh, and we'll get into what Peterson brings to the table. Yeah, here it's like, did bit, you know what you were tweeting there? <laughs> yeah. um, but but I think that it's the rule change that I think took place last year with the the new early signing period and uh, you know the addition of the tenth assistance, which I think will be 
January 9th, something like that, when you can add that 10th assistant. It's more of a support system. So Tennessee couldn't hire Rush Probst in, in, in a position like some kind of defensive analyst or high school relations type position um, and still sign J.J. Peterson. I don't think they could bring Probst in that position. But as far as an on-field assistant coach like wide receivers coach and signing J.J. Peterson, I think they can do that. Yeah, and we saw that in basketball with uh, with Conzo Martin in Missouri with the Porters. Um, <laughs> and, and the thing with Preps, I, I've never really been under the assumption that he's going to be on the on-field staff. I mean, this is a guy that's, I think, approaching 60 at least, right? He's not young. <laughs> he's, he's not young. He's, and he's, he's probably ne- making six figures, by the way. And he's, ne- and, and yeah, probably, and he's he may, never, he and he's never coached in college before. He might either. be young at heart. We don't know. Might be. I mean, he he he, Age he is just a number. He was a guy during two days. He always had some energy. Now that was not <laughs> filmed yesterday, and, and since then, you know, since then, I think we can all agree Jeremy Pruitt's probably learned what asparagus is. But you know, you go back, and I think if that's a guy you could add somewhere in your program, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense, or just to at least stay on really good terms with the guy because the guy's tapped in throughout. Uh, throughout the Alabama and Georgia area, and, and he, he's kind of the guy who got a lot of those guys started in the business. So uh, I think it makes all the sense in the world. But, you know, I, I don't want to put the cart before the horse and say, you yeah, Tennessee's going to get J.J. Peterson, but it looks pretty good there. And, and, Danny, what can you tell us about this guy, you know, the ranking, the size, the game? This is a guy who's going to help probably. Yeah, J.J. Peterson comes up with that that edge about him, that swag that you want on the defensive side of the football that – Al Wilson, Leonard Little type, I'm going to punch you in the face and I'm going to stand over you and I'm going to talk about your mother and her mother and then we're going to get off the field and we get back on the field, I'm going to do it again and I'm going to rub your face in it. And that's the type of guy he is. He's got that swag about him. He's a very long linebacker. Um, you, you watch the film on him. Um, and I, I was at the Oregon Finals and you know it's more of a seven-on-seven type situation. So you don't you don't get to fully – accept and embrace the physicality of what a kid like that brings to the table. We basically call it like the underwear Olympics because these kids are wearing Nike skin-tight gear and these helmets on, these padded helmets on their heads and stuff for seven-on-seven tournament. It's not really J.J. Peterson's type of thing. It's more of the the Bryce Love types, but he's 6'2", over 200 pounds, laser time 477, which a kid at his size is not bad. But if you put on the film, he's got game speed. A lot of kids – They'll run four four. They'll run four five. Whatever, and you put on the film, you're like, ah, he looks more like a four six four seven guy. Peterson's the complete opposite. He lasers four seven seven. You put on the film, it's like, wow, he's got to be four five eight four six two something like that. That type of guy, just a ferocious defender, can, can help in a variety of ways. And one play in particular, it was kind of Derek Barnett like. And I remember, you know, the coaches at Tennessee, Butch Jones, those guys telling a story about how Derek Barnett came completely across the field and ran down Devon Young. I'm sure you guys remember that story as well during practice as a true freshman. J.J. Peterson has a play like that, only given (laughs) how far he ran downfield and across the field. I I, I would guess he ran at least 80 yards to run down a kid that was breakaway toward the end zone and tackled him inside the five-yard line, never gave up. That's the exact exact type mental attitude the defensive-minded coach wants out of every one of his guys. And I think that this he's that type of guy you need on your defensive side of the football. It's going to be beneficial from the neck up going forward for Tennessee for the future. It's, I can't understate that. And I don't think people take that into mind as much as you see a star rating and, you know, Army All-American, oh, he's a heck of a get. But this is a special cat in terms of the aggressive type mindset that he's going to bring to the table. 
Is he more of an inside linebacker or outside linebacker in this? I think he could do both. Um, if it was me, I'd probably use him as an outside linebacker type because I'd want him going after the quarterback a little you, more. You know, I, I you remember know what Alabama's done. If, I, I, I think you're going to make this point. I remember right. something something you did back in December West, sort of breaking down the uh, the personnel, how it might look, is that a lot of these uh, Alabama linebackers now look – they all look the same, whether they're inside or outside. So that's why they're versatile and that's why they can – Stay on the field for all, all three downs. Yeah, they, they can. They allow you to make the sort of schematic changes they want to make without having to to sub guys in and out on the field. Because when you're doing, you know, facing all these fast paced spread offenses, uh, you gotta, you know, you gotta be a little bit bigger uh, at linebacker in that three four. But you can't be as big as you used to be unless you can fly. Because you look at Alabama's linebackers now; they're a little bit smaller than they used to be by and large. Uh, you, it's funny you look at a guy like, you know, uh, Anfernee, and you go, "Wow, that's that's not a small guy." But a lot of their linebackers kind of all fit that same mold, and now they've got guys like the Rashawn Evans who can play anywhere. And and what I think is interesting is that at Alabama, they'll even go, they'll have you'll have a guy practicing with the inside linebackers on Tuesday, and then with the outside linebackers on Wednesday. And so there are guys who can play different spots, and I think he's a guy who probably. Uh, we'll be able to do some of those different things, assuming that he goes to Tennessee. I don't, I don't want to say it's a done deal, but things are looking pretty good uh, for Tennessee right there. Uh, and speaking of of guys and who helped Tennessee, uh, there is a guy who has helped Tennessee a lot the past couple of years, who is now going to take his talents to the National Football League. And before we get out of here, guys, we do have to mention uh, Rashawn Galden, a guy who. Uh, a lot of people are going to remember the the double bird salute to Alabama, and there are some Tennessee fans who will always love him for that and some who will always shake their head. But uh, when you watch the film, this guy at his size to fly around the ball and do what he does, uh, I just I, I think he's a perfect nickel, uh, I think, for the National Football League in, in terms of the way that league's going. And I, I'm a, I, I think that he's probably making a right decision here to go ahead and go. The evolution of the nickel position and its importance to combat the spread offenses uh, has made a kid like that that much more valuable, more draftable, and going to go up draft boards because he he can do so many things well. He can cover the slot receiver. He can help and run support. He's a terrific tackler. I remember once as a recruit when he was at Independence High School, I think he had 36 tackles in one game. The guy would come up in the box and just run people around. (laughs) It's kind of like the – you have neighborhood tag going on, oh, yeah. and you have that kid that's two, three years older than everybody else, and he's just running down everybody and just tagging people at will. <laughs> that was Rashawn Golden in high school. I first saw like, him like, as like a, a like like Billy Madison on the basketball court. Yeah, uh, basically. <laughs> yeah, or Fresh Prince back in the day. There you go. But uh, but uh, I remember I first saw him as a sophomore at Brentwood Academy with Derek Barnett over a playoff game in Memphis, and he started to impress then, and. Unfortunately, had to sit out his junior year of high school with his transfer rules. But um, it, really, I, I'd always wondered what would happen with his weight because if he put on 15 pounds or so, he would be a standout guy. Um, we saw his body not hold up as much as we would like to have seen his first couple of years on campus. And I think Tennessee fans got robbed a little bit of his ability with one is- issue after another. I think he had a, a foot ankle. See, uh, I, and I wonder and, if the way he plays causes some of that because he's not a big guy and he plays so recklessly. Uh, I think I wonder if that, that plays a part in it. I think he told me um, going in, I think it was spring of 2016, that he actually like broke his hand on like he was covering the first kickoff of his career. He played his freshman season with a broken hand. And then he had the, the list rank injury. Uh, I think that's the one you're Evans and Danny 
uh, in August of 2015 when he was looked to be set to be uh, the starting nickel mm-hmm. going into that going into that year. And was the guy they were building a lot of that secondary stuff around, <laughs> and then to have lose him right before the season. But I think he's a guy who, uh, I, with his kind of history, uh, if he he got through a full season relatively healthy and put some good ta- you know some some good play on film, and I, I think this is probably the right time for him to go. I know Tennessee fans would love to see him stay. I, I would have liked to have covered him for another year because he's a fun guy to watch play the game, but. Yeah, you know, I think he's probably making the right decision. I think he he was he was really fun to watch because he just he left it out there every every Saturday. He was reckless, aggressive. Um, he was passionate, obviously, as we saw at Alabama. Um, and he had a really good year. I don't I don't think people realize how how good he was. Yes. Um, back before the new year, I was trying to work through and and count down. I think or, or rank Tennessee's best individual performance of the season. Golden could have had five or six of them. And it was hard to pick out four because there were – you look at a combination of the stats, you look at some of the, the pro football focus grades that, that he had. Hard to complete a pass against that uh, guy. They were, he was just really good. I mean, he was really good against Alabama. He didn't. I think he only had like two tackles in that game, but he was had a really high grade. Uh, Florida had that interception. Kentucky, he was had a hand in at least a couple turnovers. It was really hard to kind of pinpoint – what his best games were. I mean, they were they were legitimately. It was legitimately hard to rank them. And he, he, even uh, and even on that play where he gave the double bird salute, the way that he was flying downfield to block for yeah. Batuli on that run, he, you know, he he still he, he might have after all that work on that play, he was like, you know what, screw you guys. <laughs> like, play look up, look what I just did. He had the key play against Georgia yeah. Tech as well. The strip, yeah, yeah. Uh, three fumble recoveries on there. I think he had one against Southern Miss. Uh, I recall right in front of me. Yeah, I just. Nose for the football. You know, I, <laughs> I often make fun of that saying, a cliche when people say, oh, he's always around the football. Well, that's, he swarms to the ball. <laughs> it, that it, is Rashawn Gold. I think he's versatile enough, too, where he, he could play just about any position. Now, you're not, you're not going to want him going up against a, a burner at, at the outside receiver. He's a little undersized, so you don't want him lining up against a taller receiver who can, you know, they can throw fades against him in the end zone or whatever. Uh, he could probably play safety. I mean, he could be. It, it, it depends. It's going to depend on look, what defense you, he's in. Yeah, you look at the honey badger role, kind of that he did with the cardinal. You know, you know, with yeah. all that stuff. And I think that kind of stuff is something that. And, and that he's he going to help do. on special teams because he always played special teams. He even played special teams last year uh, when Tennessee couldn't really afford to not have him on the field. So uh, versatile player. I, I could see. I don't think he'll be a high pick. I don't. I never saw what point he had in coming back. He had a really good year. Um, and just because you're should, not picked high doesn't mean you, you're making the wrong just, decision to go. You know, he should have capitalized on it. Uh, both he and John Kelly, I think, you know, they, they've seen a couple of their teammates in the past, and this is something that I don't know if it'll hurt Tennessee, but, you know, what happened with Cameron Sutton and Jalen Reeves may have been last season or in 2016 when they both came back and they both got hurt. It didn't end up hurting their draft stock, but it could have. Yeah. Uh, both those guys, I, you know, I think Sutton went about right where I thought he would, and I think Reeves may have been actually still went higher than a lot of people thought yep. he was even with his injuries, and he's had a pretty decent year. Uh, contributed for the Lions. So um, those things, uh, again, Golden, uh, there were more reasons for me for, for Kelly to go back. And I know we, we ha- we've disagreed as a staff on Kelly and um, and what he should do, but uh, I don't think either of these decisions have been surprising. And uh, I think it's going to be harder for Tennessee to replace Golden at, right now than it, than, than it will be for Kelly because they've at least got some some pretty decent guys in, in the backfield at running back, and, and they've got Robert Gillespie, who's a heck of a running backs coach. Yeah, I, I'm if I'm a running back and I, it's it's after my third year and uh, I'm healthy enough and I've got some good film right there to for guys to watch, I'm, I'm going to get out while the getting's good because I might every every 
single time that I touch the ball might be the last time I get to play the game at that position. And, and there's only so many miles you get on the odometer. And, and I, I don't want to wax poetic on that again, but I, I, I thought Kelly made the right decision for him. Now the question uh, right before we leave guys is for Tennessee secondary, this obviously uh, is a big blow. There's no doubt about it that he was one of the Galden was one of the key guys uh, on that, on that defense. He was one of the key guys that, that they kind of, People talk about kind of a safety-activated or nickel-activated defense, and, and Tennessee did a lot of that w- with him. He was the fulcrum of a lot of that stuff. And and now uh, you look at what was already a, a position that had a lot of questions, or a position group that had a that had a lot of ha- had a lot of questions going in there. You look at it now and you go, "Wow, that's 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 even more." Yeah, I mean, you're you're already losing three seniors and Emmanuel Mosley, Justin Martin, and, and Shaq Wiggins, who really played. I would say. 85% of your snaps at corner this year. They didn't really give a lot of guys uh, a lot of other work outside of Sean Schamberger against Alabama. And so the the cornerbacks you have coming back on the roster, you've got Schamberger, you've got, uh, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, Mark Will Osborne, mm-hmm. you've got Balin Buchanan, and then uh, let's see, Ter- Terrell Bailey. Terrell Bailey. Mm-hmm. And that might be it. I think that's it. <laughs> and and, and I, I would I would think Cheyenne LaBruza would be a prime candidate to move back to corner. Uh, I think yes, but maybe not. Maybe not with the knee injury that he's still getting treatment. Yeah, on. that may have lost him a step, and he had a a knee injury in high school as well that robbed him a majority of his senior year. Yeah, and you know that's a question mark. You know, I think he was moved to safety last year out of necessity just because they were run out of bodies at safety. Uh, but we'll we'll see what happens with him. Uh, you know, what do they? You know, what did what do they do with DJ Henderson? I mean, he you know he went he went the receiver. He's a body. I I think and stuff we've written this week, I think they need at least three corners. And, and certainly there you have a lot of playing time to, to sell. Yeah, and we, Hey, and we, you can and come and in and start right away probably. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, he can go out on the trail. The, the staff can go out there and say, hey, guys, um, by the way. Uh, we have uh, no corners. Come start. You wanna, do you want to play? Uh, can you walk and chew gum at the same time? And are you about 5'11 plus, 180 plus? <laughs> and can you run a little bit and walk and chew gum at the same time? If you can do that then you might start at Tennessee as a true freshman or as a as what I would do, go get a Juco guy. Go get a Juco guy. Well, they've tried to get Juco guys. I would, I would keep trying. I think I think they need to get a Juco corner badly. The uh, last two Juco corners they had had didn't really light the world on fire. Well, that's true, but this is a new staff. Maybe they'll target guys um, a little differently and, and have a better hit rate. And and you look at something. I, I was doing some, some uh, something I did on Schamberger earlier this week and noticed that they have Mark Will Osborne listed at 5'11 on their roster, which is – <laughs> farcical to borrow a word from <laughs> that's the boy arson winger that that's that's kind um, that and fulcrum we're having a heck of a pot here uh and so you know schamberg and labruz are both you know six foot i looked at alabama's roster all those i think they have one corner or i think they have one defensive back who's not six foot or taller so they're going to be going after taller corners i know danny's got some names he's gonna throw out for us uh, i, I just want to th- say I bet they're all six one or higher, <laughs> our, our, our vocabulary is pretty expansive. We're like the Downton Abbey of uh, Tennessee football podcasts, I think. Yeah, some some kids that I've stood next to that have talked to me about their height and weight <laughs> that say they're six foot, and they're like, I live with me. I'm like, mm, I don't know about all that. I'm but, six uh, one. I usually get a pretty good gauge of how tall someone is. A, a young man to really circle with multiple Sharpies to really keep an eye on the last weekend, which is actually a February official visit weekend. Isaac Taylor Stewart, I think Ryan Callahan would agree. Of all the kids on well, the board, is that still a good label thing? right now. Is that a good thing? He's got he's, three first names. He's the guy. Uh, six foot two, 187 pounds, composite five-star kid. 
won the fastest man competition at the opening finals, which is the most athletic kids in the country, basically. Um, he's a plug-and-play guy. He would be better than any JUCO prospect you could bring in, most likely a three-and-done. You put him in with, with T- Terry Fair and Jeremy Pruitt and their experience guiding the defensive backfield. I think the sky's the limit for somebody like that. It's going to be hard to beat USC and some of these other programs after him. Texas A&M left a strong impression. They have had a complete staff overhaul there. We'll see how their new defensive coordinator they got from Notre Dame can kind of build up some of that relationship. We'll see if he'll take any unofficial visits. I doubt he does, but he's about to close things down. He, he said Friday that he's not going to do any interviews after January 8th. So we'll we'll see what he does after he officially visits Tennessee in February. But that's a big one. Um, Elijah Griffin is one a lot of people think is going to wind up as, as a volunteer. He, he told me – I asked him to gauge his commitment to UCLA at the time, and he, you know, he kind of frowned on it. He's a California kid, but he has since backed off his UCLA commitment. He's boasted about Tennessee quite a bit. Alante Taylor stayed in his ear during the entire Under Armour American Week. He's a guy that's he's not as physically gifted as Isaac Taylor Stewart, but he's still a guy that can come in and compete for a starting job right away. Probably needs to put on a little bit of bit of weight, uh, more in the four six range in terms of a laser time forty, but. Uh, but still another legit talent. So those are a couple of guys to keep an eye on. Uh, but cornerback, it's, I think Tennessee has probably as much or more to sell that position now than they've had in a long, long time. I mean, you you think of some of the guys that have coached Tennessee secondary and what they had to deal with. I think they struggled for years. I think that's always been an issue, you know, from Marcellus Johnson, Rashawn Phillips, all these guys that played for Tennessee. If they just had one more Eric Berry type, somebody like that, I think Tennessee could have turned the corner um, you think back to the Florida games in the 90s and a little bit before y'all's time, a little bit, you know, if they had one before more. Before my time. Wes is old, too. <laughs> yeah. Pretty old. But if they had one more legit DB, maybe they turn the corner and win some of those games. And I think for the first time ever, Tennessee has that guy that says, yes, I have a bevy of Jim Thorpe Award finalists, a bevy of first-round picks. You know, yeah, my assistant coach was a first-round pick while playing at Tennessee. You have all these things to sell on top of early playing time. It's going to be hard for Tennessee to get beat out on all these kids. So I, I I wouldn't be surprised at all if they brought in at least three corners in the in the weeks ahead. Bevy's a pretty good word. I don't know if it's a good word as fulcrum. It's not or farcical. It's not. I'll but that. I mean, it, it's okay. It's not a bad word. I mean, I've heard worse. Mm-hmm. But seriously, guys, but we'll we'll wrap up with this kind of. What is the mood around this program right now, and and what should it be? I think going into 2018, they're trying to flip everything forward and bringing in kind of a new staff, which always gives you a little bit of energy. But there are lots of questions to answer. Two of the team's best players are going to leave early for the draft. Uh, there's there's a lot of uncertainty. But I think things are overall in a pretty pretty decent place considering this is a team that just lost eight games for the first time in program history. Well, I think it's hard to get a, a read on it because it's just been so, I don't want to say disjointed, but your head, you hire your head coach. He's here for – a night he has a, he has seven coaches show up the next day they go out and do a great job recruiting but you know the team goes home you lose two guys to draft um the coach is still at alabama and so i i think it's probably one of those things where it's like all right let's let's get let's get the last couple of staff positions filled let's get the team here let's get the coach back let's roll i mean i, I think everybody in the program wants to put last year behind and that's what they need to do it was it was bad you don't want to foster any of the habits you developed last year um and and you want to and i think that was um i think that was evident for some of these guys some of these players talking to some of them late in the year i mean i think 
the way that Trey Smith and Jared Garantano talked after the, the Vanderbilt game. This isn't happening again. We're not going to let this happen again. It's going to be different, all this kind of stuff. Now, you have to put those words into action when you start doing workouts and you get to the point in February where you've been working out for six weeks and you don't want to work out anymore, but you have to because you've got a strength coach, strength coach X. We don't know who it's going to be. Is what if busting it, your it was busting like, your tail like strength coach triple X Vendy? <laughs> well, it's going to be there. It, it's going to be their fourth strength coach in four years, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of turnover in that in that situation. So that's I bet good. he'll be new and innovative and do all these <laughs> things that are crazy that they hadn't done before. Every strength coach that comes in is the best strength coach that's ever been hired. It, it's like well, oh, they, look at all they, these new they, techniques. It's like they were throwing rocks at each other before or something. You know, when the if, new guy comes in, if by an act of God they get the guy from Alabama though. <laughs> He might actually. He actually. Roger? He actually is the best strength coach in the world. <laughs> True. He also gets the the best roster to work with in all college football, which probably oh, helps. On. But come on, Danny, what do you think about where this program kind of is right now and, and where it should be going forward? I and then, and then any any New Year's resolutions that you have and your and your social security number. Let him talk. <laughs> ah, let me know when I have the floor. No, I'll not yet. <laughs> Five, four. Okay, now go ahead. Okay, okay. I think they're going in the right direction. Uh, you know, like PB said, it's. Sometimes you take two steps backwards before you can take a step forward. But, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, seven commitments within 15 days of being on the job with not even a complete staff, that's something that you can take away as a Tennessee fan and go, okay, this guy can get out. He can sell Tennessee football and the SEC and everything that Ball Nation brings to the table, and he can do so quickly into high-level kids. We're not talking about guys that were just kind of like, oh, it was either – Chattanooga, Appalachian State, or, or Tennessee. Don't knock uh, the mocks. We're talking about some big-time programs. Dominic Wood Anderson had Nick Saban in his home T.O. Played a week before he signed with Tennessee. So, you know, Isaac Taylor Stewart, you know, probably the best cornerback in the country. Out of nowhere, he's going to officially visit Tennessee. Kind of reminds me of Bryce Brown and Lane Kiffin a little bit back in 2009. Ooh, it's yeah, just it out of nowhere, it's like, oh, the number one part in the country is coming. Well, what's, what's that say about this guy as a recruiter? That's something we can we, – that Tennessee fans can look at and go, okay, this is something we know he can do and move forward. Now, what, what, what he'll be on the field, it's hard to say. He's never been a head coach before. Some of these guys have never been in some of these positions, but he's bringing in people he trusts that he's worked with that have been at big-time programs, Florida State, Alabama, Georgia, those type places that know the landscape of SEC football, not just a recruiting standpoint, but what it takes to win on Saturdays, the physicality on both sides of the football. And, I think Tennessee fans are going to be very impressed. And I've talked about this with Jeremy Banks a little bit. A very physical running back. I think he's a, he's kind of a microcosm of what we're going to see more of with Tennessee football. It's going to be a pro-style offense, a couple tight ends with their hands on the ground. A little more often on defense, you're going to see more of an aggressive style. More guys in the box. More guys going after the quarterback instead of dropping back in the coverage. No soft zones. None of that stuff. Uh, not a whole lot of Mustang defenses. I think it's a new age type of uh, Tennessee football. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, it's probably going to take a little bit before he can get the kind of horses he needs to be not only that style, but but to compete at an extremely high level. Especially look at what Georgia's done and how Florida's recruiting right now with Dan Mullen. But it's it's an interesting time for Tennessee football. It's hard to say they're going to come out and flip everything around and win eight, nine, ten games right out of, right of the bat. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think things are on the uptick, and Tennessee fans, given where you were for the latter stages of November and the first week or so of December, I think they have to be happy that, hey, you have an AD, you have a head coach, he's almost done with his staff, he's done well in recruiting, so just kind of take it as it goes and, and move forward slowly. Uh, 
looking back at at a month in uh, with Tennessee football under under Jeremy Pruitt, I don't, I don't think it's a, a surprise that there's been a a new coach bump in the recruiting aspect of things. You know, you go in and you get some guys that weren't even on the board that the previous staff weren't recruiting at all. Um, you, you get a guy like Jerome Carvin who was going to go to Mississippi State, and now he's he's at Tennessee and. Um, on signing day, he was going to go Mississippi State. Yeah, he wore a maroon. <laughs> he wore a maroon jacket. He clearly yeah. was was thinking he was going to go to Mississippi State at some point to make that decision. But um, it's not surprising to see a new a new bump, a new coach bump. You know, we've we've seen it with just about every new coach. We've seen it with Kiffin. We've seen it with even Derek Dooley. His 2010 class that he had to put together in like a week. Mm-hmm. Still had some guys. Still had some guys that wound up in the NFL. Um, I don't remember who all was already there when he got there and all that. But um, you, you, it's natural to see that. There's just a lot, still a lot of questions, obviously, moving forward. Obviously, what are they going to do with those two staff positions? What are they going to do with the 10th assistant? Is it going to be Niedermeyer? Is he going to be the 10th assistant? Is that the direction they're going to go there? Who knows? What position changes are we going to see? Is Jawan Jennings going to be back? Still so many questions for me. Hashtag free the dog. Sure, fine. Um, you know, and I still think that there's – and this is a whole different podcast, I'm sure, but I still think there are, are enough pieces on this team – where, you know, it wouldn't be a shock for them to go eight and four next year. They got a tough schedule. Yeah, let's remember that Saban's first season in Alabama was seven and six. Now, officially, it's in the record books as two and six because some victories had to be vacated. But seven and six, his first season in Alabama, uh, and then it got rolling after that. Eight and four. I mean, you're that's a, that's a big turnaround. You went four and eight last year. Yeah. You're not going to win ten games overnight. I mean, I don't think the roster is set up that well. This isn't Georgia. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll um, just yeah. And Saban's first year at Michigan State, six wins. His first year at LSU, eight wins. First year at Alabama, seven wins. So it's the second, y- y- you take time. I think it's been proven over and over again that the second year is the year. It's the year where you you either find out either you're a legit elite. You know, I don't want to say elite because Gene Chizik kind of blows this all up. Yeah, but that was obviously extenuating che- cheating circumstances. Um, Cam Newton, exactly. Uh, second year is when you know, and so there's so many questions still about what this program is going to look like moving forward. And I think Wes, you wrote something on this with Share last week. Is these guys still don't know this roster very well? I don't think. I mean, I think they have a basic knowledge based on what some of the guys, some of the holders have told holdovers have told them about. Hey, you need this many guys. Probably you've got this many guys at this position, so you need probably this many guys at this spot in this class. All this stuff. But they probably haven't delved into, okay, Darren Kirkland's going to play this linebacker position, or Batuli's going to be this linebacker, or they're going to move this defensive lineman. He's going to be more of an in. You know, all, they haven't delved into all that yet. They need so to tell Congo so, not a linebacker. But there's we'll still so many questions that, that the staff has to answer moving forward. But, you know, it's only been just sort of – it's two days short of a month that he's been hired. Keep your hand in the ground, Kongbo. Keep your hand in the ground. That would be – that would be my advice there, guys. Uh, it's been a, it's been a pretty good podcast. I think we've 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 gone on a little bit, but you know, it's Tennessee football. Y'all want to hear about it all the time. There's not going to be any time where you go, ah, it's too much talk of Tennessee football. So, thanks for tuning in. Before we get out of here, guys, any uh, New Year's resolutions? I don't have any. None. I'm pretty I'm pretty much perfect. I, I think that's what Pat just said. Basically. Nope. <laughs>